Well, Shantideva's text was written to point out the path to full awakening to us. And that depends on practicing all six perfections with the motivation of bodhicitta. And what is our biggest hindrance to generating bodhicitta? We can't just say the lack of compassion, because that's that's true, but there's an active force that prevents our bodhicitta. And that active force is the self-centered mind. So if we want to attain full awakening, and even if we want to be happy in this life, we have to do away with the self-centered mind because it throws a wrench in the whole project. So doing this involves really uh, reconditioning ourselves, rethinking about things because we've all been taught and carried on from previous lives the thought that I must care about myself first because I am the most important. And that thought from beginningless time has kept us in samsara. So we have to really train our mind to be on the lookout and recognize the self-centered thought as the real enemy, as the real thing that causes us misery. And then when it arises in our mind, see through its antics, don't follow its antics. And instead have a large mind that really cares about the situation of all beings. So since Bodhicitta really cares about the situation of all beings in the most expansive way, Let's generate that aspiration for full awakening now. So unless we consistently remember 
the faults of the self-centered thought. The uh, studying this text is not going to make any sense to us. And we're going to think Shanti is a little bit nutty. Yeah? Because what he's telling us is the opposite of the self-centered thought. So it's really important every time we sit down to study or meditate on this text to focus on the disadvantages of self-centeredness. Yeah. Not only impeding us from fulfilling our spiritual goals, okay, but also what's happening this life. Spiritual goals, they're in our heart, but sometimes, well, it's going to take a long time and they're rather high and lofty and I'll work towards them gradually. But then when we really start seeing in this life how much we suffer because of making me, I, my, and mine the center of our own universe. It becomes very evident if we stop and just look at, at our actions, at our disgruntledness, you know, at our feeling of not belonging, at our feelings of not fitting in, not being worthy, nobody listening to us, not getting enough appreciation, not having enough love, being left out. All these things which we go through multiple times, yeah, are based on self-centeredness, aren't they? Yeah. They're all based on making a bigger deal about me than I am worth in this situation. Yeah. As if what is important to me and what is meaningful to me and what I want is has to be satisfied right now. And then we push. And that creates conflicts with other people. And the conflict makes us more unhappy. So then we do, then we blame people for for the conflict. And then they retaliate and that makes us even more unhappy. Okay. And so this is the situation in our personal life amongst groups, amongst nations. Yeah. So it's, it's very important to really look at this. Yeah. And when we catch our self-centeredness, not to fall into, oh, I'm such a bad person for being self-centered. Because that is just more self-centered. I'm the worst one. Okay. So don't, that is not the antidote to fall into. I'm such a bad person because I'm selfish. Okay. The antidote, yeah, is to see the disadvantages of self centeredness and the benefits that come with having an open heart and really cherishing others. So we hear this in teachings, but we have to be reminded about it again and again and again because we have such strong imprint 
about thinking of me, I, my, and mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to shift our mind so that we really care about others takes some time, and it, it takes really caring about the situation of others. Okay, caring about it more than our own situation sometimes, yeah? Because sometimes what we care about for ourselves, that what we think will make us happy, is hogwash. Yeah? So Guy uh, Newland emailed me a very interesting story that I will share with you. Okay, so he guy was saying that he <coughs> he read an article about a man who was completely obsessed with filling, filming uh, great white sharks. Okay, so you know he went out, I guess, scuba diving or deep sea diving, whatever they do, as much as he could, filming these sharks. This was like the big thing in his life. More, it, it, and this obsession replaced alcohol in his life, you know, TV, golf, everything else. Okay, he just wanted, like, I want to film these great white sharks. So, eventually, as he's swimming around with them, guess what happened? Yeah, yang. So his hand almost got bitten off. But that didn't deter him. He went back and kept filming these sharks, even with his hand almost bitten, having been bitten off. Okay, he continued doing that. Okay, and so he wasn't afraid on his own behalf. I was like, I don't care, you know, what gets bitten off. I'm not afraid of it. I really want to do this. But What happened is he started to think about his family and what would happen to his spouse and his children if he was killed by the white sharks. So even though he wanted to continue filming them, okay, out of care and consideration and affection for his family, he stopped. Yeah. So that's an interesting story. It's not done yet. But, you know, he beg- it, at first it was all about me, what I want to do, what's important, no thought about the family. And then it went to really thinking about, well, what's the effect on my family going to be if I get killed? Yeah. And that made him... Uh, stop, you know, to hold back on uh, continuing to film these sharks. And then, okay, here's uh, a quote that he gave, or here's what he said at the end of the article, okay. He said, even though it's sharks in this case, We could be talking about a relationship with anyone or anything in life. It started out 
being about me in a naive way, what I got out of things, what it meant to me, how this interested me, how it promoted me. Okay. But there's an evolution over time in which you take into perspective everything and everyone involved. And that's part of why he stopped doing it, because of care for his family. Okay, but now listen. Life changes. Eventually, you do have to change. Not everything is the same forever. And he began to think that his filming these sharks might actually endanger the sharks. Yeah, because if one person gets hurt because of them, then the powers that be are going to go after these sharks. Sharks. Yeah. So out of concern for the sharks getting targeted for being killers, that was another reason he stopped filming them. Interesting, isn't it? Realizing that his what he was doing was going to prompt the sharks to do something negative. And so out of care for the sharks, he stopped doing things that were going to prompt them to do something harmful that might get them in trouble and killed and so on. <clears throat> so this is a great story to think about and it's going to a similar thing is going to come up in what Shantideva is telling us in the next few verses. Okay. So we ended on verse 43 last time. Let me do 42 again. Okay. So previously I must have caused similar harm to other sentient beings. Therefore, it is right for this harm to be returned to me who has caused injury to others. Okay, so we talked last time about we criticize other people a lot. Why are we so surprised when they criticize us? And when we compare the amount of times we've criticized them with the number of times we've gotten criticized, I don't know about you, but I criticize people far more than they criticize me. So it's no wonder those few times I get criticized that the criticism comes. It's what I've dished out. Okay, so to remember that instead of, why are you criticizing me? I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know if any of you are following the Kyle Rittenhouse um, trial, but it's very interesting, yeah, to to watch the you know the prosecution, the defense, what Rittenhouse, uh, how he sees the situation, how other people see it, what he interprets things as being 
how other people interpret them as being. It's really, it's quite interesting. Okay. And very sad. Yeah, two people got murdered, a third uh, seriously injured. Okay, verse 43. So here Shantideva starts giving it to us again in a slightly different way. Both the weapon and my body are the causes of my suffering. Since the others gave rise to the weapon and I to the body, with whom should I be angry? Because if people are going to harm my body, it's not just the people or the instrument, the weapon they're holding, that is harming it. They couldn't harm my body if I didn't have a body. Whose responsibility is it that I have a body that experiences pain? How did I get a body made of flesh and bones that experiences pain? Didn't come from God. It didn't come from a primal substance. It didn't come from the stork. It didn't come out of nowhere. It it arose due to causes and conditions, due to karma and afflictions. Whose responsibility are my karma and my afflictions? Yeah? Who created, who experienced the afflictions that created the karma that caused me to be reborn with this kind of samsaric body? It wasn't the person who is now beating my body. It's me. So that's why Shantideva says, yeah, seeing that the other gave rise to the weapon and I to the body, with whom should I be angry? Yeah, I have some responsibility in this thing. Now, this is one area, yeah, Uh, where a Dharma practitioner would differ from a worldly person. A worldly person would not question at all how I got, what the causes for this body is, why I have it. They would only focus on somebody hurt my body. But a Dharma practitioner has a more expansive view and sees Well, nobody could have hurt this body if I didn't create the cause to have a body. And that cause was created by me. So I'm part of the process. Or not necessarily me, but my afflictions and my karma are part of the process. And if I don't like experiencing harm from other people beating me, then I need to do the best to get out of samsara and stop creating the causes for this kind of body. Because as long as I create the causes for this kind of body, I'm going to keep cycling in samsara. And as whenever I'm in samsara, there's going to be somebody who also has afflictions who's going to beat me. Okay? So it's the same thing. If, If people steal our things... We feel so self-righteous. They stole my things. Those are mine. Okay? 
Who do those things belong to? Me. Well, if you had given them away, would somebody have stolen them? If you weren't clinging to them so tightly with so much attachment, would you care even if somebody ripped them off? Okay. So it's making us ask ourselves and to see that we have some role. Now this is very different than worldly thinking. And part of our mind resists it because in a court of law, it's nobody's going to say, well, you created the cause for the wealth. You know, it's your part of your problem that somebody ripped it off. Nobody's going to say that in a court of law. Okay. But when you are looking for ways to transform the situation and stop your anger, this kind of argument is quite good. Again, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Okay? It doesn't mean you set up the situation with an evil intent to trap somebody. It just means that we have to recognize our, you know, what we, our part in getting ourselves in this situation. Yeah. It's the same thing in relationships. Yeah. You have a horrible breakup with somebody and you're so hurt and you're so angry and it's all the other person's fault. Okay. But wait. The relationship wasn't just from them to me. It was from me to them. Part of this is because I got attached to them. Part of this is because I was seeking from them, you know, from them to love me and tell, tell me I'm worthwhile and appreciate me. Yeah. So I had expectations of them And that was a setup on my part, because if I have expectations of somebody, you know, who's going to fulfill all my expectations? Who? Yeah, nobody's going to fulfill all our expectations. Yeah, so if we want to, you know, get rid of the pain, stop having the expectations. Stop trying to suck something out of other people. Then our mind goes, Buddha doesn't understand me. Shanti Deva's blaming me. I didn't mean any harm. Nobody's telling, saying that you meant any harm. People are just saying, when you have attachment, you're going to experience pain. So be aware of that. And don't, you know, put the cause of your pain on somebody else because when you look deeper, the cause of the pain we created. And what's good about seeing the situation in that way is now we can do something about it. If the pain came all from the other person, it's all their fault that this breakup was so terrible and painful, then there's nothing we could do. We can sit there and cry. We can blame somebody else. 
We can feel sorry for ourselves, but we're never going to be happy. Yeah. But if we start saying, okay, they did whatever they did, but I set up the situation through my attachment. So why am I blaming them? What I need to do is work on my attachment, on my expectations. And not just keep pointing the the finger at other people for not meeting them. Because I can't change other people. I can blame them all I want, but I can't change them. The only one I can change is this one. So who's got, got to do the work to get rid of my attachment? Me! Yeah? I can't say, I have a problem with attachment. Will you, you know, like, do surgery and take it out for me? No. Okay. So this is actually, when you see it correctly, this is very empowering because it means we can do something to improve our situation. Whereas if everything is always somebody else's fault, there's nothing we can do to improve our situation because we cannot change them. Yeah. So we have, when we do this meditation, and really see the situation in this way. Take it as something that's very empowering and make a decision, you know, that I've got to work with my attachment. And the Buddha has shown me how to work with my attachment. I'm not a bad person for having attachment, but my my attachment is a setup for my own suffering. And the Buddha taught ways to get rid of that suffering by getting rid of the attachment. So there's a method to practice too. And I need to practice that method. If I don't practice the method, then what to do? Yeah, this thing is going to keep happening again and again. So verse 44 If in blind attachment I cling to this suffering abscess of a human form, which cannot bear to be touched, with whom should I be angry when it is hurt? Okay, now people are really, you know, this abscess of a human form which can't be bared to be touched. This is not an abscess. Body is beautiful. Body gives me happiness. Yeah? Look, even in precious human rebirth, you told me to take care of this body and don't cause it suffering. This body, when I lie on the beach, it's so wonderful when I have a good night's sleep when I eat the food I like, when I have a nice lover. Oh, this body brings me so much pleasure. Why, Shanti Deva, are you calling it an abscess? 
You got it all wrong. Shanti Deva, you're into hating the body, just like those Christians that tell us our body is sinful and tell us we should beat ourselves, you know, with whipping ourselves and wearing a, a hair shirt and everything like that. You're just like those people. Be careful if you criticize Shanti Deva. Yeah, be really careful if you criticize him because he's a lot smarter than we are. And he's going to say, okay, if in blind attachment I cling to this body, which is the body, yeah, just look at what the body is. Now, it's true in precious human life, we're you know, we're glad we have this body. It's the basis for us being able to practice the path. That's one perspective on the body. Another perspective on the body is if you leave the body alone and you don't clean it, what happens? It smells and all sorts of gunk comes out that you find disgusting. Hmm? Is this body beautiful? Yeah. If you could unzip it and open it up here. I really wish that, like in Thailand, the Sangha can go to um, autopsies. autopsies. I really wish here people could do that. Yeah, because it's incredible, you know. Or maybe, I mean, in college you can take courses where you dissect people, but they've been dead a long time and their tissue is all brown and they've been opened up and dissected many times already. So it's not as, it's potent, but it's more potent when it's somebody who has just died and things are still red inside, yeah, and it hasn't been Cut, cut open and manhandled by undergrads for, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then to see them in the autopsy, you know, they just take the things out, put them in the scale, like the, the scales at the grocery store where you weigh how, you know, how many kgs of apples you're going to buy, you know? So they take your your brain and put it in the scale. They take this part and put it in the scale and weigh it all out. Yeah, measure every part. And then at the end, they have to put it back in because the body needs, you know, the relatives want it. But they don't take it and respectfully lay everything out in the part of the body where it came from. They just take whatever they have and grab and shove it in and then stitch it up together with all the newspaper that they held, you know, to put it in there in the scales. And they just stitch it up. And nobody knows that now the stomach's in the brain and the brain is down here and, yeah. So... Where is your, you don't think your, your body is an abscess of human form that is, it's set, our body is set up for suffering, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a setup. As soon as we have this body, we're going to get sick and it's, the body's going to get injured. Anybody who's not been sick? Yeah. Anybody who's not been injured? Even from a pinprick? Or a dog scratch or a cat scratching you? Let alone, you know, skiing and breaking a leg and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, this body is a setup for pain. Why are we so attached to it? Why do we think it's the, the epitome of happiness? No, if we look closely, it's not. <clears throat> okay, so Shantideva is saying, if with blind attachment I am so t- attached to this body and cling to this body, and this body is something subject to aging, sickness, death, injury. Yeah. Why do I get mad at somebody else when they harm it? Yeah. Why? I'm the one who through my ignorance, anger, and attachment took this body. Yeah. Then your mind's going to say, well, I didn't know about the Dharma in a previous life, so it's not my fault that I took this body. Oh, that, that's a real good argument, isn't it? It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I didn't know. It's the Dharma's fault that I didn't know about the remit, ignorance, anger, and attachment being negative. And, you know, it's not my fault. Well, maybe we did know in a previous life. After all, we were attracted to the Dharma this lifetime, which shows that we had some connection with the Dharma in a previous life. Huh? So we can't just say, oh, I'm innocent. God made me ignorant. It's God's fault. Yeah, there's no God in Buddhism. You cannot blame some outside power. I mean, you can try, but it's not going to work, and it's not going to make you any happier. So then, 45, it is the fault of the childish that they are hurt. For although they do not wish to suffer, they are greatly attached to its causes. So why should they be angry with others? Now, when it says it is the fault of the childish that they are hurt, Shanti Deva is not pointing a figure, a finger, and saying, "Your suffering is all your fault, you evil one." No, Shanti Deva is not doing that. He's saying we have some role in this when we suffer. Okay, why? Because although the childish don't want to suffer, we're very attached to the causes of suffering. It's like a person who hates the hangover, but they love to drink. It's a good analogy, isn't it? You hate the hangover, but 
Drinking makes you feel so good. So we'll forget about the hangover. We'll drink tonight and then tomorrow be miserable. You know, the scientists have done studies about people who who, uh, need immediate happiness and people who are okay with delayed happiness. You know, like with, with, they'll start with kids and, uh, you know, they'll put a treat of some sort in front of the kid and say, uh, if you eat this now, you get the, you know, you can eat it now if you want to. But if you don't eat it for five minutes, I'll give you another one and then you'll have two. Yeah? And some children, it's like the attachment so strong, I'm going to eat it now. I mean, the, before the, uh, the person has even left the room, the kid's eating the, the tree. Other kids, they see, oh, if I can delay my happiness, I will actually have more happiness. And so they won't eat the treat, and then they'll have two. So this relates to us, too, you know, There's times when I want this right now. And I know that it's not good for me. Even um, now I'm not even talking karma. Yeah? When the doctor puts you on a diet and you know if you eat something, it's not good for you. And it's not good for your health. But you like it so much and you eat it. Even though you know it's going to harm your health. Yeah? How many people do that? Yeah? We do, don't we? Because the idea of doing without some immediate pleasure, we can't, we're so attached to that. So this is what he means by we're greatly attached to the causes of suffering. You eat something that you know is harmful to your health, So you're attached to the causes of the suffering, and then your body, you know, is sick or doesn't work well later on. And then, then you, you know, it's kind of like, you know, not getting your vaccines. And I'm I'm not necessarily talking about COVID, but even polio or tetanus, yeah, whatever it is. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't like the, the pinprick, so I'll, you know, I'll go without it until something happens, you know, and then we suffer. Okay, so this happens in all sorts of areas, you know, uh, not just in relationship to our body, but also in, in terms of how we treat other people in the relationships that we get involved in. Yeah. Sometimes, have you uh, seen friends who are in unhealthy relationships, but they can't get themselves out? Or maybe you've been in an unhealthy relationship and haven't gotten yourself out? Why? Yeah. There's some attachment there to we're getting something even though 
what we're getting by following our attachment is going to end up causing us pain. But the attachment to the immediate pleasure is very strong. So Shantideva says, you know, if we're attached to the causes of our suffering, yeah, why should we be angry with other people when we suffer? Yeah, why should we be angry? But this, you know, this is our habit. It's always something else. Yeah, you go skiing and you come back with a broken leg and, you know, there was something, that tree was wrong. That tree should not have been there. It should have been over two, two feet or something like that. Yeah? But not me. But I can't ski worth beans and, you know, slammed into it. Okay. 46. Just like the guardians of the hell worlds and the forest of razor-sharp leaves, so is this suffering produced by my actions. With whom, therefore, should I be angry? So in the hell worlds, in the hell realms, uh, there's guardians that keep, keep you there. You can't leave. There is a forest of razor-sharp leaves. And, yeah, so the leaves are themselves like razors, yeah. At the top of the tree are the people you're most attached to, the people you love, that you want to be with all the time, that you don't want to be separated from. You're at the bottom of this tree, Your relatives and friends are calling out to you, come, come up here, we want to see you. And you're so attached, you want to go up to see them. The way the the leaves are, the razors are pointed down. So as you climb the tree, the razors cut you. And when you finally get up to the top of the tree, where your friends and relatives are, instead of experiencing the happiness and comfort you think you're going to have, they now appear at the base of the tree. And you're at the top, and from the base they're calling out to you, come here, come here, we want to be with you. And then you start going down the tree, but at this time, the leaves, instead of the razors facing down, they now face up. So as you're coming down the tree to be with your loved ones, you're getting cut up again. So that's what this verse is referring to. Okay. So then the question comes, are the, the guardians of hell realm, are the hell realms, are they real? When you are born in them, they are as real to you as the human realm is to us right now. Okay. We like to say, oh, they're just mental states, or they're completely unreal, they're just the projection of our mind. Yeah. 
they may be the, you know, a lot of how they appear to us is the projection of our mind, but there are external objects, so things are not just projections of our mind, but they also aren't truly existent. Okay? But through our karma, we create the cause to be born there. And it seems real to us, just as what we experience right now seems real. Have you ever held an opinion so strongly about something that you thought was right, and your friends said, no, that's not it. That's, that's not a correct opinion about why this happened, or what's going to work, or what the solution is, or whatever it is, you know. And everybody else says, no, that's not right. But we say, no, it is right. I see it. I experience it. I feel it. So our minds play a very strong role in our experience. You know, why we tell other people sometimes, mind your own business and get off my case. Yeah, because I know what's best for me. And yet, maybe, maybe, what we know is best for us isn't. But we can't hear that. Sometimes it's the other way. Sometimes you have the world that is completely messed up telling you something, you know. Like, why being a Dharma practitioner? That's ridiculous. But then you have to know for yourself why you're doing that, you know. So on both these things, it involves checking in our own mind and really using logic and reasoning to see if our interpretations and uh, experiences have some validity. Maybe, definitely not 100% validity but maybe some conventional validity, but maybe not. Okay, so just as the guardians of the hell worlds and the forest of razor-sharp leaves, so is this suffering produced by my actions, by my karma. With whom, therefore, should I be angry? So, Yeah, whenever we experience suffering, that is karma ripening. And, you know, it helps so much just to say that to ourselves. Why am I shocked? Why am I surprised? Why am I angry? Why am I wasting my trouble being angry? when the karmic cause was my creation. Yeah, I should instead use my time and energy to stop that attachment, to stop that anger, and stop creating the causes for this suffering. Mm-hmm. It's like the person who comes and asks you for advice, and you give advice, And they say, yes, but. And then you try giving them another advice. And they say, yes, but. 
And then this goes on and on. And whatever anybody says to try and help them, they say, yes, but I can't possibly do that. And anyway, that's not the real source of the problem. You don't understand. It's that person. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So then it's so interesting, you know, sometimes you give Dharma talks, and this happens all the time, whatever country I'm in. Raise their hand. Yes. Uh, My friend has a really bad problem with anger. How can I help them not be so angry? My friend is in a really uh, messed up relationship that's harmful to them. How can I help them get out of that relationship? Yeah? We are so compassionate at those times, aren't we? Caring so much about our friends and relatives, wanting to help them, that we neglect looking at our own stuff. I don't know, is that the people-pleasers' paradise? When you can spend all your time trying to fix other people's problems and giving them advice. And then, you know, there's no time to look at yourself. What do you think, people-pleasers? Yeah, there's a few people-pleasers out in the audience. Yeah? But it's the same thing with the blamers. We have the people-pleasers and we have the blamers. And the blamers are so busy blaming that there's no time or energy to look at themselves and deal with the real situation. And then there's people like me who aren't blamers and who aren't people-pleasers but are who the ideal Dharma practitioner and really apply the Dharma whenever something comes up in my mind. (laughs) Verse 47. Having been instigated by my own actions, those who cause me harm come into being. If by these actions they should fall into hell, surely isn't isn't it I who am destroying them? Now when we first read this this, uh, verse, it sounds like you're blaming the victim. Okay, yeah. Somebody is harming me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting told that they're harming me because I instigated it. Yeah, so it's my fault. Yeah. You, went to, you went to the party dressed in something nice. It's your fault you got raped. Okay? That, that's how, you know, the argument sometimes goes. That is not what Shanti Dev is talking about. Okay? So be very clear in your own mind. We are not blaming victims here. 
But what we are doing is seeing that when somebody harms us, very often, unbeknownst to us, we did something that annoyed them. Or maybe it is be known to us, and we know because we deliberately annoyed them because we really get a jazz by being able to get a rise out of somebody else. Yeah? Doesn't that make you feel good when you know somebody's so sensitive and they were really mean to you and you know exactly what they're sensitive about and then you stick it to them there. And then they squirm and they, they're mad at you and they hate you and you say, oh, what did I do? I didn't do anything. It's your problem. Yeah? I mean, just, I, I want to use the, the uh, Rittenhouse trial as an example, or that whole situation. And please remember, I am not talking legally. Legal things have different standards than Buddhist standards, okay? So we're talking Buddhist standards, how to work with your own mind. But if we see how we get ourselves into situations through our own attachment or our own anger, jealousy, or pride, then it helps us see, oh, I had a part in that. I should not just blame the other person. I need to be responsible for my part in it. And in the future, I will not do that because I've learned from this bad experience. I will not do that. Okay. Instead of, but they harm me, they harm me, they harm me. Okay. So in the Rittenhouse thing, you know, so he was a 17-year-old kid. His friend bought him uh, a military rifle, an AR something, I forget what it is, but one of those big ones that they use in the war zones. His friend legally bought the weapon, but gave it to him, and he's 17 and not allowed to have weapons. Okay? He knows that there is a uh, there were demonstrations in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because a police officer shot somebody in the back seven times, uh, you know, when he, the guy was going into the car. It was a big mess, you know. And the police officer got off, okay? So there were demonstrations about this, uh, and there was, you know, people were really revved up. There was the threat of violence. So this 17-year-old kid who lives in Illinois, yeah, he's had a first aid class. Yeah, don't my, most high school kids have a first aid class? Well, he's had a first aid class, and he considers himself a medic, as he describes it. And so he takes his AK-1547, whatever it is, straps it around him, although it's illegal, crosses the state border into Wisconsin, and 
he's always loved the police and he wants to patrol the streets. But no, he doesn't want to patrol the streets. He's there as a medic, although he's not actually a medic. He just had a first aid class. He says, I'm there as a medic uh, in case people get hurt so I can go hurt somebody. Okay? Help, yes, so I could go help somebody. Sorry. Now, a question I, I don't know if the prosecutor asked, but I would have asked, and how many people who are medics or who provide first aid have a military-style weapon with them? <laughs> Zero. Have you ever seen uh, a first responder? You know, anybody coming to, to provide medical help who has uh, not just a small gun, a huge one striped, strapped around him. Okay? But he asserts that he feared for his life because somebody was chasing him and somebody did this and they did that and the other thing. Okay? And the whole trial stems on whether he is found, you know, his, his defense is, I killed these people in self-defense. So at age 17, he's murdered two people and then injured a third. Okay. So, you know, you look at this situation from a Buddhist viewpoint, from a Buddhist viewpoint, not a legal one, I'm not talking legal, Buddhist viewpoint, if he had not taken a gun, which he illegally possesses, and crossed state lines and been there, this whole thing would not have happened. Yeah. If he had not thought, you know, I love the police, I want to be like a policeman, yeah, that's fine, lots of little kids do. Yeah. But to take an, an AR whatever with you to, because you want to be a policeman, you know, without considering all the, the things, you know. Now, this is not the stuff that will get him found innocent or guilty in a, a court of law necessarily. But what I'm saying is for us, you know, when we get ourselves into jams, it's sometimes very helpful to say, why did I go there? What was I looking for? What was my motivation? What was my attitude? What was I hoping to achieve? You know, so in this case, he would ask himself, was I really wanting to go there to put band-aids on people because I've had a first aid class? If so, why did I carry a military weapon? Yeah, and then why did I agree to, because for part of the time he was helping uh, put, uh, uh, safeguard a used car place, you know, walking around with his weapon. Yeah, so what, there were men, other men there, not just him, but other men, you know, with their military weapons walking around the city streets 
to protect the businesses. Protect the businesses. And some people say that the police even welcomed them because the police were overwhelmed. Yeah. What a mess. Isn't it? What a mess. But it it calls on us like, okay, why do we do the things we do? Why do we put ourselves in certain situations? I mean, if you're... If you're carrying a military weapon, you supposedly feel safe. Okay. But he didn't feel safe. He said that's why he killed the other people, because he felt afraid for his life, even though he had the military weapon. And one other man was, uh, was unarmed. The second one, I don't know if he was armed or not. The third one had a small pistol, but he had his hands up. So what I'm talking about here is that we can always say it's external situations, yeah? but that makes us powerless in a karmic sense, in a dharma sense. But if we look at our motivation, why did I do some of those things? We might see, you know, where, how attachment works in our mind, how jealousy or pride works in our mind, and how sometimes stupidity works in our mind. I look at things that I did when I was younger, and oh my goodness, I could have gotten really hurt. And I didn't, But I look at myself, you know, who was that kid that did those things? That was so stupid to do. Yeah? And yet, at the time we do it, and it's not just stupid teenagers, it's stupid adults. It's us, you know? We are the childish beings who put ourselves in those situations. And so to, to really, I mean, this is how we, we can transform our lives, when we really uh, can take responsibility, even for the things that we did at the time that we thought were right and correct. But later on, sometimes it takes 10 years for us to realize that what we did was not very nice. Yeah, Have you had that happen? After years, you look back at some situation where you had spent blaming someone else and then said, actually, you know, I was not acting very nice. And where did my karma come from? Where did those actions come from? My confusion, my afflictions who were running the show at that time. And when you can say that about things in the past, my experience has been that I stop being angry. I stop being resentful. The whole situation is like I can't hold on to it anymore. Yeah. So I find, you know, it it pulls me very deeply in my meditation to, to look and examine. 
but it also enables me just to put those things down and let them go. So that's why Shantideva says, you know, if those people have been instigated by my actions, I did something, they caused me harm, okay? By causing me harm, they're creating the karma to be born in the hell realms. I'm playing innocent victim. They're creating the cause to be born in the hell realms. Then, isn't it me who's destroying them by by being the instigating force for them to create negative karma? Yeah. We may not have had the intention because we may just have been plain old angry and defensive And we're not thinking, oh, I'm going to make him create negative karma and go to hell. We're thinking, they did this to me and I'm going to defend myself. But still, even though we're thinking, I'm going to defend myself, by acting in that way, they harm us and they create the negative karma to go to hell. So aren't we instigating their lower rebirth? And aren't we also instigating our own lower rebirth? Their own negative actions. So I find these kinds of things very helpful to think about because you really, you really understand at a different level how samsara is just, it's crazy. Yeah, how it's, you know, what, what you said in, in your uh, BBC, samsara is a lost cause. It's true totally lost for all of us. Nobody comes out good from from being in samsara. Yeah? No matter how rich and famous and everything you are. So it really helps us to see that. And that strengthens our renunciation of samsara. It strengthens our aspiration to be liberated. It strengthens when we think that everybody's involved in this same completely nutty world. It it strengthens our compassion for everybody. Because the whole thing, really, when you think about it and you watch what's going on, it's really like we're living in an insane asylum. And when you get that feeling, then you can really have compassion for people because you realize... It's, it's, I'm not the spectator looking at other people's insane asylum. I'm helping to perpetuate my own. Yeah, so I want to be free from my sin, but they're also doing the same thing and have compassion for them. When we have compassion for somebody, there's no way we can be angry. Compassion and anger cannot exist in the mind for the same person at the same time. So it really helps us generate compassion, forgiveness, put down all sorts of things, and, you know, inspire our bodhicitta motivation. So it might be unpleasant to look at because it's a total reversal of how the world looks at things and how we've been taught to look at things. 
But when we can do that and see things from that perspective, it really uh, helps to cut away at a lot of our misery, even our present misery, you know. And it stops the future misery because we stop doing things that create the negative karma. Okay? And then we start doing more things motivated by bodhicitta. So we start going towards full awakening. Okay. Then verse 48. If, you know, in depending upon them, I purify many transgressions by patiently accepting the harms that they cause. But in depending upon me, they will fall into hellish pain for a very long time. Okay, so if people cause me, you know, what did Shantideva, uh, if people harm me, what did Shantideva say in previous versions? We're purifying our negative karma. If we think like this, if you don't think like that, you're not purifying karma, you're just experiencing the result. But if you think like that, You know, I'm purifying karma by patiently accepting the harms that others are giving me and not causing them more pain, okay? So I'm purifying my transgressions and negativities by, with fortitude, accepting the pain they give. But in depending upon me, because they're so mad at me, they're going to fall into, you know, hellish pain in the future by creating that negative karma. Okay. So then verse 49 says, So, since I am causing harm to them, and they are benefiting me, why, unruly mind, do you become angry in such a mistaken manner? So here, Shantideva is taking the argument one step further, okay? So I'm purifying my transgressions by, by, with patience and fortitude and compassion, experiencing the harm that they're inflicting on me. But I'm being the cooperative condition, not the cause, but I'm... It says I'm causing, but here it means cooperative condition. I'm the cooperative condition for them creating negativity and having a bad rebirth. So I'm purifying. They're creating the cause for misery. So why do I get mad at them when they're the ones who are going to suffer from this and not me? Because I'm purifying Okay. So when I, in 19, what year was this? 80, 86, 87, 87. Um, I went to Tibet and uh, Venerable Sanke Kadro, we were traveling together at that time. Um, and we were on a, a bus going up to Gandhan Monastery, which is on a hill outside of Lhasa. And at Gandhan Monastery, the, the People's Liberation Army and the communists 
and also some Tibetans, um, they just wreaked havoc on the monastery. And uh, Jay Songkhapa's uh, body was there, and they, you know, well, actually some monks had taken it off before, so the PLA wouldn't destroy it. But they destroyed it, the monks did, so the PLA wouldn't. But anyway, when when we were driving up there, it took so much effort for this bus to get to the top of the hill. It was like, you know, in the bus. And I thought, you know, when the army came up, a lot of those soldiers probably walked. And so I was imagining what they went through to get to the top of the mountain and then to destroy so much. And many of the buildings, they were made out of brick. Not brick, but stone. And to knock these things down, to destroy statues, to burn holy texts, what the effort they put in to do that. I thought, if I put in a fraction of that effort in my practice, I'd probably be a bodhisattva by now. (laughs) You know? Because it takes so much energy to get up there and then to destroy things. Yeah. And they they did it. You know? Yeah. The government said, you do it. Aye, aye, sir. They did it. Yeah. And yet, the Buddha teaches us, you know, how to create the cause for happiness. But I can't just, you know, it's... It's too much strain. (laughs) It's just too much of a strain. Isn't there an easier path? Yeah. Can I put it off a little bit? Can I hire somebody else to do it for me? Okay. So it's it's this thing, you know. These people are 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 causing harm. But they're creating the cause for a hellish rebirth themselves. I mean, all these people during the the Cultural Revolution, I mean, it was horrible went on in China. What what the communists did to Tibet, they also did to their own people, you know? It's not the Chinese, it's the communist system. And um, what started out with good ideals, but wound up under the influence of people with ignorance, anger, and attachment. Um, but you know, you you see when people get activated and then happily create the cause for misery for themselves, and how much energy we put into retaliating and harming back and devising plans. This is what the Defense Department is about, isn't it? So, you know, just something to think about. <laughs> yeah. If we're so willing and eager to create negativity, um, yeah, why do we complain? <laughs> Anyway, this verse wasn't particularly about that, but it reminded me of that situation. Yeah. 
And then verse 50, if my mind has the noble quality of fortitude, I shall not go to hell. Although I am protecting myself in this way, how will it be so for them? Yeah, so by patiently experiencing the result of the harms, yeah, we won't create the negativity from anger and revenge and so on. So we're protecting ourselves, but these other people don't know the Dharma. And so, you know, where are they going to find a way to protect themselves from the hell realm when they're eagerly, eagerly running towards creating the causes for it? Okay, so questions, comments? So this is a very different way than we are used to looking at things. So don't get into blaming yourself. Yeah. But follow the arguments and take understand the arguments as ways to protect your mind from getting angry and resentful and harming back. And take these arguments as as ways to, to purify your own negativities and to make strong determinations about the future to abandon doing certain actions because it's because we did those negativities in the past that we face these difficult situations now. Okay. So... Also, to be clear, when somebody's harming us, you know, when we say practice fortitude, don't get angry, don't take revenge, that does not mean that we just sit there and uh, become the world's doormat. Yeah. We can actively do things to prevent harm, but we don't need to be angry. And the methods that we use to prevent harm, we start with peaceful methods like nonviolent communication or, you know, some kind of mediation, something to solve the problem by talking, to solve the problem by opening our hearts to others and respect them. Because really, acting violently, that's what animals do, isn't it? Okay, so human beings are animals. We're trying to get ourselves out of that realm, out of that situation. So we have to act differently. And we have to think and feel differently. Is with the stories that have been shared today, it's just scary to see how a one wrong view or one misguided idea can lead to these incredibly harmful situations yeah. and that just spiral yeah. and affect so many other people. And then the importance of making these very clear determinations about how we will act in the future mm-hmm. and to see that um, the situations of others aren't, aren't that outlandish in terms of I could 
that could be me mm-hmm. to not I see like it just sounds horrific what this young man has done but to not put it out there but I make it to draw it in very close and to then yeah say like may I never do anything like that and, and to relate it to hold it close in that way of seeing it as a mirror of what I have done that could have gone a lot worse or what I could easily do in the future yeah um yeah, thank and you. This what is when we have a mad elephant mind, all it takes is this, the external situation, you know. Um, and so, this is the advantage of holding precepts, because when you hold precepts, you've thought about these situations and you've decided, I don't want to do that. The man in this thing who who was shot in the arm but wasn't killed, he was holding a gun, and I forget whether it was the prosecutor, the def- maybe the the defense lawyer, probably the prosecutor, saying, "Why didn't you shoot him?" Meaning Rittenhausen, Rittenhouse, Rittenhausen, Rittenhouse. Yeah, him. Why don't we? Why didn't you? You know, shoot him. And he's and he said, "That's not the kind of person I am. That's not the kind of person I want to be." I was very moved by that when he said that. Huh? He he said, you know, he had a pistol. It was in the small of his back. He said he carried it. For self-defense, the idea being if you show a gun, the other person won't shoot you. Okay? Not that that makes a lot of logical sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, statistics show if you own a gun, you are much more likely to get killed by a gun than if you don't. But many people uh, have guns because they think if they show them that they will be protected. Uh, I don't agree with that, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I find in this whole thing, it's so interesting. No one now is bringing up the fact that there is an armed population and that that plays a major role not only in things like this but in so, you know voter voters being intimidated to go you know people being intimidated to report crimes um, even legislators legislators being uh, having death threats Nobody's saying that all this craziness has anything to do with however many, you know, you having an armed citizenry. Yeah? Just watching this a little bit, because there's this whole idea that we've talked in the Dharma perspective is sometimes the afflictive state of mind if you identify it and you can just keep your mouth shut and hold yourself steady, chances are that thing will sort of decrease. But when you've got somebody going into a Burger King and the young man tells you you need to wear a mask and you go home and you're pissed off, you come back and you shoot him, 
or somebody's parked in front of your driveway, or somebody's dog's pooped in your yard. People are shooting and killing their neighbors rather than just being annoyed and trying to just do something else. Uh-huh. So this moment where we are insane, having a gun really does perpetuate oh, a yeah. very tragic ending rather than just walking away and going and, you know, throwing yeah. something. Yeah. And the, it's the same thing with suicide. Yeah, if you possess a gun, increased risk for suicide. Again, because you fall under the influence of some deluded mind, and you think, oh, if I killed myself, it would end. And you have access to a gun, so you do it. If you didn't have access to the gun, you would somehow make it through that crisis point and come out the other end and still be alive. So sometimes there are... um genuine victims like they're just walking down the street and they get shot accidentally or maybe mm-hmm. not accidentally but you know they didn't provoke the other person right so how does their karma bring that about does their karma force the hand of that other person well their their karma is just what makes them be on the street that day yeah because they have the karma to be injured yeah, the karma ripens in them being injured. So, you know, they find themselves on that street at that time. Yeah, there were just, uh, there was a big um, astro world, some big thing in Houston um, with 50,000 people for a rapper. And not, not the not the gum wrappers, <laughs> but the other wrappers. And eight people got killed and a lot of people got injured. Yeah. And they all went there to have a good time and have fun. And some died in the process. I mean, this is samsara. Hmm? Uh, who is responsible karmically if another person doesn't understand us when we're doing our best? Um, it, it isn't a thing of their karma and my karma. It's if they, uh, we may be doing our best, but they get annoyed and they act, you know, react. They're creating the negativity through their karma. I mean, through their actions, okay? So what this is, this example here is saying, if we're just, we don't have a negative uh, viewpoint, a negative mind at the time, but we happen to become the object of their anger, yeah? We're, to see it as like we're purifying because of, we're experiencing pain because of our previous negative karma. We aren't starting up anything at this time if we don't become angry. If we become angry, then we're keeping the whole thing, perpetuating the whole thing. Okay. Let's dedicate. So remember, karmic responsibility is not the same as fault. Yeah, don't put those two together. They aren't the same.